Welcome to episode 239 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. In the interest of checking out new ways to network virtually, I signed up for Lunch Club a couple of months ago. This is a website that uses AI to match you one-on-one with someone based on your responses to a few open-ended questions. That has led to a lot of first date style networking chats where we don't yet know enough about each other to know what we should talk about. I feel out of practice. I've met tons of people virtually over the last year by hosting my own No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hours and attending other virtual events that offer the chance to meet participants. I've stayed active in several Facebook groups for years that attract the kind of people I enjoy getting to know. Often, these group networking efforts lead to a one-on-one Zoom chat, but we already have a shared history to guide our conversation. In contrast, at the start of these lunch club conversations, I often hear, tell me about yourself, or what do you do? I struggle to answer these seemingly simple prompts. That's because there is more than one way I'm having a positive impact in the world. And no matter how I briefly answer, I'm leaving a lot of important information out. Sure, I can say I help national and statewide advocacy organizations strategically bring their events online with less stress and greater participant engagement. Do I also mention that I love emceeing employee and member engagement events? Depending on the situation, I should probably also mention how I train presenters and meeting professionals to become certified virtual event professionals, hashtag no more bad Zoom. Do I then go into more detail around how my students have grown in their confidence and competence so they too can now create more engaging online experiences? And I often find myself offering business advice, which makes more sense if you know I'm a business growth strategy coach who offers both private coaching and runs masterminds. For instance, I hear someone is working on their first book or considering launching a podcast, and I immediately offer to share my free masterclasses on those topics. The challenge is I'm a multi-hyphenate. I'm a producer, MC, speaker, author, podcaster, coach, strategist. And even saying all of that leaves out that I'm a trans dad with a three and five-year-old and that I was their primary caregiver for three and a half years while running my own business. Your challenge this week It's quite possible that you know lots of other multi-hyphenates, people with more than one set of skills and or more than one passion. If you limit your interactions and conversations only to the skills or passions you know they have, you're missing out on a much richer and deeper connection. Create space within your relationships to go beyond the obvious and learn about what else makes them tick and how else they're making an impact on the world. When someone shares their, I help X do Y so they can Z answer, Remember, there's more to the story if you take time to ask. What are your own hyphens? Get clear on that so you too can go beyond the surface as you're getting to know colleagues. Try this and let me know how it goes. Before we dive into this week's interview, this week's story was inspired by meeting someone who identified as a multi-hyphenate. And in my research on the term, I found an interesting article, The Case for Being a Multi-Hyphenate. I'll put a link into the article in today's show notes. I'm always keeping an eye out for new business or life lessons to share in my weekly missives. Do you have a suggestion? Email me at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. 
Are you wondering whether you'd be a fit for my masterminds, private coaching, or the virtual event design professional certification program? I'm happy to schedule a chat and learn more about you and your goals. Again, you can email me at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. We'll get started. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest empowers people who feel disconnected with the tools to start meaningful conversations and find their people. He creates tools and transformational experiences so leaders and teams can feel heard, seen and valued, and create a culture of authenticity, trust, and belonging. He is the creator of Ask Deep Questions, which started out as a deck of cards to help his friends connect on a camping trip and is now being used to facilitate meaningful conversations through sharing personal and vulnerable stories on every continent around the globe. His mission is to help people feel less alone. Through his workshops and programs, he is fueling the movement for deeper human connection. His work has been featured on TEDx, CBC News, Breakfast TV, CityLine, and HuffPost. He is currently building a community of facilitators that design magical human moments online. Please join me in welcoming Jan Keck. Thanks so much, Robbie. Thanks for having me here on, on your podcast. Jan, thanks for joining us from your, from your home office in Toronto, Canada. I'm thrilled to have you on here. I'm super excited to talk about what you've been creating, but I also want to know more about you and where this all started. So as you know, it's a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So when I saw that question, I was trying to... F- go back like as far as possible to what's one of my uh, role models when it comes to being a great leader. And also, where did I maybe discover that in myself for the first time? And it like immediately went back to summer camp. I don't know if you went to summer camp as a kid, but, uh, and like I grew up in Germany, so summer camp in Germany might be a little bit different than summer camp, let's say in Canada where I'm now, where you have lots of nature. We still were camping, um, but we had huge tents with like, 10, 15, 20 people in, in like one tent. And we stayed in the same spot. But the leader, the camp leader was one person that I looked up to when I was a, a participant, when I was a kid. And as soon as I was too old to be attending as a kid anymore, I'm like, okay, I want, I need to be a counselor. Like I can't, I can't have a summer without going to the summer camp to see the same people, feel the sense of community, uh, have these 10 days where I'm outside in nature and having all these new experiences, doing workshops. And that leader, like, especially once I became a camp counselor, became almost like a mentor to me. And there's one specific thing that he did that might not have anything to do with leadership in like a traditional sense, but um, he was this amazing guitar player. Like at night around the campfire, him on the guitar, like he was able to like move the whole like hundreds, hundred people, kids and other counselors that were there just by his, him playing that, that instrument. And uh, he inspired me at that time to learn guitar myself. And it took me like a couple of years to um, like really get good at it. So I could do something similar. I never felt like I had the skills that he did. But um, there was one, my last year as a camp counselor, he was actually not there anymore because he moved to a different place. Uh, Somebody from the old camp counselors that knew him and knew me gave me that compliment that I did the same thing on the guitar around the campfire that he did. 
And that was like, I, I could not believe that he would say that. And it totally made, made my whole, my whole day. Um, so yeah, when I, when I think of like leadership, it's, it's so hard to define. Um, but what he, he did, his name is, uh, Christoph Lutz, by the way, uh, I want to give a little shout out. So if, in case he listens to this, he knows that I'm talking about him. Um, I think the one definition of it, and he might have done that without consciously paying attention to it. He always encouraged me to like to learn the guitar. Like, of course, he could see me as like a competition. Oh, there's another like guitar player on the campfire. Uh, but he really supported me and showed me his little tricks. Um, but not to the point where he's like, you need to play it this way. He always encouraged me to find my own style, as you know. Like if you, if any musicians are listening, you can play the same song in so many different ways, right? So um, I think he really encouraged me to find my own voice, more or less. And that's kind of the, the story that came up for me when I was thinking about leadership. And what a great memory. Wow. Yeah. I mean, such an incredible memory. And also you're a vivid storyteller. Like I, I'm picturing the scene as you're describing it. Um, and also like, how, how old do you think you are? But was it like, like between like nine and 13, like that kind of age. So the first time I went to summer camp, I was, I think eight. And the, then I went for 10 years. So until I was 18. Wow. Um, yeah. Cause you then became the counselor and yeah, I mean, he really, he, I think one of the things that I'm hearing for you as part of being a leader is that they inspire because he clearly inspired you. You looked up to him when you were younger, you wanted to sort of be like him that inspired you to take guitar. He then encouraged you and motivated you and mentored you. And, and also that a leader can hold sway, can, can captivate a, a, and like, energize or move, you know, a group of people, even a hundred people with, uh, in this case, his instrument, it, you know, that that was a tool that he was using, but that's, that's how he was doing it. Yeah. Like his energy definitely influenced the room. Like there, there's not that many people that, um, I would say I've encountered in my life where when they walk in the room, like the energy shifts, but he was definitely one of those. So yeah. there was something about him as like even his presence, the way he was like talking that you were like glued to his lips. You wanted to know what, what he's going to do or say next. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great memory. And also I appreciate that you went back that far because a lot of times I've asked this question and people share stories from like their first, you know, beginning years of business or grad school or business school or something. And I'm like, you know, clearly they're in their mid twenties and beyond. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, what were you like in the playground? And so this is a great illustration of you talking about kind of who you were, um, that you were seeking out this community space and seeing, I think it also speaks to who you are today, that you saw someone develop community in such a meaningful way. And so it showed you that that was possible, which is why you wanted to be part of it for that 10 year span while you could. Yeah. Exactly. And I, even looking back more, like the type of person you, that, that I was at that time in my life, I was a very shy kid. Like I was not the one who would seek to be the center of attention. That was actually my worst nightmare. Like singing in front of people, still one of my worst nightmares. Um, 
but I'm, I've been getting better at dealing with it. I haven't gotten a better singer. My, my singing hasn't improved, but I've gotten better at just being okay with being the center for, of attention for a little bit of time, um, doing something uncomfortable. But he just, he had such a confidence that I aspired to, I guess, uh, adopt myself. And although I never got there, he got me enough in that direction to feel like, okay, I'm able to uh, make a whole crowd of like a hundred people sing a song full out, have a ton of fun and play the guitar really confidently. But I didn't have to be the one who's singing, but I always needed to be the one that starts everyone off because otherwise everybody starts at a different time. Right. Mm -hmm. So even like thinking now, I'm like learning all these lessons about leadership, about like playing guitar, which I didn't even think about until this interview today. Um, uh, usually you play your intro and then there's at one point the song starts. And I, although I didn't want to sing, always had to at least sing like the first line to make sure that everybody is uh, like starting at the same time that we have the, the rhythm that we're in sync. Yeah. And that by itself is such a great, leadership analogy too like you need to be the one who kicks things off in the right direction and making sure that everybody is uh going in in the right direction yeah they're all rowing in the same direction that kind of thing that's that's i mean it is a great analogy it's a it's it is so apt to um for this moment you know i i took guitar lessons uh as a kid i haven't talked about this in the show um i was taught by a classical guitarist a, a very uh, talented professional classical guitarist between eight and 14. And I learned great finger picking and some great chords. And I cannot do what you just described, which is like play songs around a campfire and, you know, get people to sing along. If I had been taught by a different type of teacher, I probably would have had a sloppier, you know, actual uh, methodology, but much more able to play pop culture kind of music. <laughs> um, <laughs> it just happened to be like the teacher that was assigned to me and I stuck with it for as long as I did. Um, but I, but I started with that vision of what you just described, um, of wanting to sit around. So I, I'm sort of in awe of you, uh, achieving that to, to the jury that you did. So, um, I know what you're, I know a little bit about what you're doing now. I'm actually kind of curious what you, like where you headed after, this camp experience, did you head off to, to university? Was that on the path for you? So I actually, when I graduated high school in Germany, at that time you had to do mandatory military service or opt out and do like a civilian type service. So I actually opted out because I wasn't really supporting, uh, I guess, war in general. Uh, not something that I could see myself uh, being involved in. So I ended up working in a homeless shelter for a year. And in that year, I saved up money and planned out this epic trip to go to Australia for one year. Um, completely by myself, self-financed, and I ended up getting a working holiday visa that allowed me to work any job that I wanted. And I did everything from fruit picking to working on... Um, as a carny at a carnival to uh, renovating kitchens uh, to on a cattle station for three months. Um, and man, it's talking about a, camp, a, a summer camp shaping my life that year also really shaped my life. Um, what were you like, and then 20? When it, yeah. like how, how old were yeah. you when you did that? Like 20 years old? I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I was... 
exactly 20. Yeah. I, and you're a shy my person. 20th birthday. And, and, you're, and you're a shy person by nature. And yet you traveled around by yourself, introduced yourself to people, found yourself work, found community, found people. And didn't really speak the language. Like my English is pretty good now because I've lived in English speaking countries now for 15 years. Uh, if I include that year in, in Australia, um, but at that time I barely graduated English class in school. So the first week I, I remember very vividly being in a hostel and it being way colder than I thought. I thought Australia, it's going to be hot, but I went in Australian winter. So it was actually not that hot. And I didn't know the word for blanket. And I literally had to take my little dictionary book time before smartphones and all of that and look up what's the word for blanket and then go to like the reception and say, could I have a blanket, please? <laughs> um, that's how yeah. I, I started out. But I, I l always loved pushing myself to do things that are uncomfortable because I knew the opportunity for growth that comes within that. Um, I knew if I forced myself to go to a country where I need English to survive, to communicate, to meet people, to get a blanket when I'm cold. And then also my second kind of um, rule was don't, uh, don't just hang out with other Germans because then you're not going to speak English. So I actually tried to avoid a lot of the German travelers that I met and always kind of geared towards the other nationalities or the locals so I can practice my, my English. And it, it led me yeah, through, through a bunch of fun adventures in that year. Wow. And when you came out of that, did you have a sense of what you wanted to do next in life? Was it, was that help you define the future? Um, so the, the interesting thing was the reason why I wanted to take that year off is because I didn't know what to do. And I think a lot of, a lot of people who finish high school or even like college, you don't really have a sense of what you want to do. Especially at that time, I still believed that the one thing that you pick, you will do for the rest of your life until you retire. So I was very hesitant just picking one thing. I always was interested in so many different things that just one was not enough. Um, and then the one program that I looked at before I left Germany was called audiovisual media. And it had six different areas. So instead of just picking one, it was like uh, video, like t television and film and uh, audio engineering and computer animation and event media and interactive media trying to get them all, all together. So I didn't have to pick one. I just picked like all of them. And I was able to be really lucky to get in. Uh, while I was in Australia, I sent in the application. And then uh, one day I get a message from a friend of mine, from a school friend saying, hey, congrats for something. And I'm like, for what? My parents haven't even told me, but they, re they, they saw him kind of in my hometown that day and already told him, oh yeah, he got into the university. Wow. So I had to call up my parents and they told me, oh yeah, the, the letter just arrived this morning. Uh, you got a spot. So that's why I actually decided to come back from that trip because otherwise I would have continued traveling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, so then you went into that world, like that's, that's what you did career-wise. And then somewhere along the line, it's funny how camping is, uh, is popping up again because somewhere along <laughs> the line, you go on a camping trip with friends and, um, you know, I, I ran a meetup group for 11 years called Socializing for Justice. And uh, one of the events we did a few years was a camping trip. And people who did not know each other went on this camping trip. And my, my close friends who I had met through this groups would say, I, 
I would never go on a camping trip with strangers. And I'm like, right, then you should stay home because the kind of people who show up on a camping trip with strangers are the kind of people you want to have on a trip like that. And, mm. but then there's all this like need to like find ways to facilitate and help people get to know each other. And so I was really intrigued by your sort of origin story that I, you know, shared at the beginning of the interview about these cards. How did you become the person in your group who had that role to help people, you know, find commonality? So that camping trip happened um, now a, a few years ago after I lived in Canada for, I think at that time, maybe seven, eight years. And it wasn't until I attended this weekend retreat that was all about, let's get outside of the city, away from technology, and focus on setting goals for the year. And I thought originally that was going to be a business goal setting retreat. Uh, signed up with my business partner at that time. We didn't know anybody else. But I just was sold by the fact that away from the city and spending time to work on our goals. Turns out it was personal goal setting, kind of more like a self-development angle. First time in, in my life I've done something like that. Uh, and with the process comes talking about the things that you want to achieve in your life and the things, the experience that have shaped you and your values. And I just made such deep, meaningful connections in those 48 hours with a group of 30 people that I've not made in the six, seven years that I lived in Canada. Um, and it, like I now describe that, that moment on the last day when everybody was saying goodbye to each other and hugging, I was looking around the room and I almost could sense the energy vibrating out of people's bodies. Like if you ever have seen the Care Bears, you know, how they shoot the rainbows out of their bellies. That's exactly what I was visualizing was happening in the room, just lighting up everybody. And I walked out of that weekend, almost floating down the sidewalk. Whenever I would meet someone, they would like feel that I have like this different energy about me. It was like, it would impact them. Um, and it took like a couple of weeks before what I now call my emotional battery was, was drained again. And um, that led me to re-engineer, okay, what happened in this weekend? What, why was that so impactful and how can I recreate it? And the, the two things or three things that to me were essential was away from technology, actually turning off our phones or going somewhere where there is no reception. Uh, so going out into nature. Um, the second one was find people that align with your values because we were all interested in self-development or self-growth, uh, being better people. We all had like a similar destination, a similar goal that we were like working towards. And then the third thing was we had really vulnerable experiences and conversations from um, the activities that we did to, yeah, like some of the actual conversations that we had. So I knew, okay, take people out of the city, find people aligned with the same values. Let's have some deep conversations. That's kind of was my plan for this camping trip that I was organizing. And I just invited a few people that I wanted to get to know better, but didn't know that well. They don't, didn't know each other. And then they said, hey, can I bring someone else? So it was like a group of people where nobody knew everyone. Well, uh, everyone was a little bit of a stranger to each other. And what I was worried about the most was the four-hour car ride it takes to get from Toronto to the beginning of the park where we, would, where we would rent canoes and then we would paddle across a lake 
portage, which means carrying the canoe to the next lake, paddle across that portage again, go to the next lake, and every lake you lose like half of the people. So we really went out there where we were the only humans around the lake. You could not hear cars. It was like dead quiet at night, stars above the uh, above the campfire, like beautiful. But what I was terrified of was three, four hours of strangers sitting in a car, all being on their cell phones or looking out the window or sleeping and not not connecting. And I thought that's such a wasted time. Like we're we're leaving the city. The adventure should start the moment that we leave, not the moment that we arrive. Uh, and that's where I created my first deck of Ask Deep Questions cards that all had one deep question on the back that would allow you to get to know someone better. And I just handed one deck to each car and said, here you go. Just pick some, have a conversation. And that way, by the time we arrive at the park, you already know each other. You're going to be best friends. And that's totally what happened. And uh, when like the whole weekend was filled with these amazing conversations, sitting in the canoe at night under the stars, around the campfire, on the way back. And people were like, oh, can I borrow this deck of cards? I have my family coming over over the weekend or I'm hosting a workshop. Can I try this for like an activity? And it just snowballed from there. I never, I never wanted to create a product. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to have that experience on that weekend. Um, but then... When was this? Now, when when yeah. was this trip? That was now, um, I mean, I really have to get my years in order, but I think it was like three or four years ago. Wow. Yeah. And now you've got this deck and people all over the globe have had a chance to interact with it. Um, mm-hmm. I just ordered five because I'm going to give them out. I, I'm part of my goal for this year is surprise and delight is to find people that I want to have deeper relationships with. So I'm gonna, I have a few people in mind that I'm going to be sending these out to. And then I have a feeling they're the kind of people who are going to want to get more to send them out to their networks. So, so I think it's that kind of thing, like the right people get this and they're like, Oh yeah, this is, this is such a great tool. Uh, and I, and I also think that now that we're talking about, you know, events being virtual, you and I um, share an interest in, in designing and executing quality online experiences. And I'm excited to just think about how to break into this deck of, of questions to liven up, you know, like I've, I've now been hosting these kind of events for a year. So I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for some new, even if my participants are excited by the topic that we've done, you know, dozens of times, like I'm ready for some new topics. Um, so this is a really exciting moment for me as well. Yeah. And like the, the one thing that I've noticed with the cards that has now since then become kind of my main methodology when I'm thinking about creating any type of event, if it's in person or online, if it's a workshop, even if it's a one conversation with one person, I'm always think about the same thing, which I now call the campfire formula, because it all started camping. Like you, you'll see there's a camp camp theme through like everything that I do. Um, but the idea is that you can't really start a fire by putting up a lighter to a big log. Uh, you have to go through the steps and anybody that has started a fire before, even if it was in a stove, you know, the first thing that you light uh, after you have your lighter or your match is some paper, something that burns really quickly and easily. And then you add your little sticks and your kindling. And then at the end, you put the big log on top. And that's how I design my experiences and how the cards are organized. There's three different levels of questions. So there's your curious questions, there's your brave questions, and then there's the vulnerable questions. Those are the ones that um, you might not have ever shared with anyone. That's kind of how I describe them but also the ones that will make you connect on the core with somebody else. 
Like, although you think you have so many things, uh, so, so little in common with someone else because you don't share the same political views or religious views or any other big values, oftentimes when we get to the core of what makes us human, we actually we, we realize that we're not that similar or not that different from each other, that we're actually quite similar. Mm -hmm. And we can't just jump into the vulnerable part. That's kind of like trying to light the log with a with a lighter. We have to go through the different steps. So the curious questions are the ones that are great for opening activities at a networking event. Or um, like even when, when I uh, have people play this with their friends or when I do it with my, my, my parents, it's we always start with a curious question. Then we decide as a group, are we ready to go one level deeper? And we go to a brave question. We're good here. Maybe that's where we're going to hang out. Okay, cool. That's great. Do we want to go a level deeper? Okay, let's pick a vulnerable card. Um, and yeah, th that methodology goes through everything that I that I create now. I'm curious if the um, the the deepest questions feel as vulnerable to you now that you have probably answered all of them in <laughs> some public setting or another. Is it is it still feel edgy because you haven't revealed this to that particular group? Yes and no. Like there's definitely some questions where already like I've answered it a few times and I have my kind of go-to answer. But also um, I sometimes like to challenge myself and answer it in a different way. Mm. And there's questions that depending on the day or the month or the year, like your answer will be different. It will be evolving. Um, like as an example, one of the questions is how do you want to be remembered? And because also like I have a, I have a different way in answering a lot of the questions because I chose them for a reason. I either had, like I had this conversation about that question that was so impactful to me that I said, I need to have this again. This needs to be a card, um, like in this particular case. Uh, or it's a question that I always wanted to ask people, but I never felt I had the courage to bring up as a topic. It wasn't necessarily something that I wanted to talk about. I just wanted to ask it. So now there is the chance that I have to answer that question to you, and that still makes me uncomfortable. So there, there are 48 cards in this particular, the, the, the original deck. Um, mm -hmm. I know you'll, you'll share this again at the end, but where can people find this? And then we'll, I want to ask you more about your network. Yeah, uh, the easiest is go to askdeepquestions.com. Brilliant, brilliant. All right, so part of a product getting off the ground, is, it's harder than an idea. You know, like um, I had a passion for this. I was actually, I almost created an entirely new podcast around parents who invented products to solve problems they experienced as parents. Because <laughs> I just thought that was so interesting. Like who decided yeah. that this like product needs to be in existence and then went through the trouble of making it happen. Um, but I but I learned through that process of, of investigating doing that, that show is just, it's so much more challenging. Like I, I, I market in the world of like ideas. And so I can, you know, within, within a week, I can test an idea and decide if it's a go or not, and then turn it into a product. Like it's not the same process. So when you were getting started, did your network sort of help you find the way through in any part of this? Is, is that part of how, and then marketing it? And like, I mean, there's the creating it and then there's the marketing of it, like testing it. So how did how did your network support you in making this a thing? 
So the interesting thing was when I came back from that camping trip, I'm like, okay, I have a prototype and it's been validated. People really seem to enjoy it. The experience was great. But I also noticed, oh, there's some questions that, that my first deck of cards actually didn't have categories. It was all deep questions. And one of the questions that uh, one of my friends got, which was the first question out of the deck was, have you ever cheated? Ouch. And it just flopped, like it went backwards. Um, that's where I learned, okay, some questions are good at the beginning, some good at the end, and other questions are just not right for the right group. Like thinking of, um, like I, I do some work with teams and organizations too. There's some questions that you just don't want to ask or reveal in front of your colleagues or your boss. Um, so I did a lot of playtesting and I just hosted two, three times a week. I hosted, uh, okay, let's have uh, deep, deep questions and coffee. Let's do deep questions and Thai food, deep questions and chai tea, deep questions and this and that. And uh, from like brunches to like anything over food, over coffee. And I would meet people at restaurants and coffee shops in my home and um, narrow down which questions work well and what depth should they be. So I think I did that for maybe three months before I said, okay, I think now I can print like my first run. And at that point I was thinking, okay, I can, I can probably get a hundred decks out to everyone that has attended one of those sessions. Like I'm like, I got a hundred people that will not be super uncomfortable, but what is a, a number that makes me feel uncomfortable because I have to put down my credit card. Like I need to pay money for a physical product compared to like a digital product or a course idea. You have to invest time here. I actually had to put down hard earned money that I didn't necessarily have at that time. Uh, so I went on my credit card and I ordered 160 decks because I'm like, okay, that feels just enough of a stretch where I'm like, I don't know who these other 60 people would be. Um, but because I, in a way, by accident had built this community of people that were like waiting for their, to get their hands on their own deck so they can take that experience that they had back home to their friends and family members. Um, it, it really was not that hard to sell those first 160 decks. Like after two months I had to reorder. Um, I did a launch party where I involved a couple of other people from my community to facilitate some sessions to invite people. Uh, I think 50 people came. They all could pre-order their cards or just get a ticket for the event. Um, so I already like sold half of my, my order just by hosting that event. And then um, because of the nature of the product, if one, like you were sharing earlier, one person buys the deck and it's not like you're sitting there like a book, you read it by yourself. No, you're gonna have conversations with people and those conversations are going to be meaningful and they're gonna maybe have aha moments and transformations happen and then other person goes like, that's really cool. I want to do that again. Where did you get those cards? And it just spreads, spread it really easily. Like I, uh, for the first year, I never left my house without at least two or three decks in my, in my bag. And whenever I go to a networking event or a dinner without pitching it, like I'm not going like, Hey, I have this cool product, buy it. It would just naturally come up in conversation. Either somebody asked me, Hey, what are you passionate about? What you're working on? Or a friend of mine is like, hey, you need to meet Jan. He has these really cool cards. And then I would pull them out and people were like, that's really cool. I would love to get them. Where can I get them? And I'm like, well, I have like two, three with me if you want. I have a square card reader. I can take credit card. 
And uh, so the first few sold sold really easily that way. Yeah, I mean, I wanna I wanna just back up and just point out some of the things that you did without even. Um, I guess it sounds like it wasn't super purposeful, but a lot of people, even the in the world of, and maybe even especially in the world of digital products, go into their you know uh, basement or their cave, and they design in their brains like a thing that they want to bring to the market, and then months and years later, they show up in the market. And the market kind of says, who are you? What is this? Why do I need this? But because you had a physical product and you needed to kind of keep testing the prototypes and seeing how it was working and refine it, you built up a community of people that, as you said, you had a hundred people who were just waiting to get their hands on their own, um, their own deck. And who probably were already thinking about other people who would want to have this and other places they would bring it. So you actually built the launch, right? You built the, I mean, I always think of it with my clients when I'm teaching business growth strategies, you built the runway because, you know, if you try to take off from a standstill, good luck, it's not going to happen. But if you have a long enough runway and you have the right momentum, the right lift, you can take off. And so you, that, those three months, that was your runway. And like having all those people kind of clamoring um, because they, 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 they actually had experience. They'd embodied this idea, they weren't just um, being sold to, they were co-creating and the co-creation is what made exactly. them want to then go and like be evangelists for it. So just so it's, it's I'm glad it worked out for you that way, <laughs> but I'm hoping that other people can take a lesson from this and, you know, think about whatever they're working on. How can they build that three month of like building that, that runway themselves? And even if you're writing a book, like let people know you're working on it. Like don't keep it to yourself. You've got a lot in your community. And then, you know, I also think that you have, um, it sounds like you're you have a pretty varied interest. I imagine your networks like overlap a bit, but you also have distinct communities. Am I, am I right that there's some distinct communities in your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So then that also helped get this out further because you weren't just sharing it within like one kind of siloed community. Um, yeah, and it got out further from there. And there's one one big lesson because I really love how you frame it with the runway that I want to share, because I did do a Kickstarter campaign for this for the cards, but that was one year after I launched them, like one year after I ordered the 160 decks and then reordered a couple of times. And like the first versions were me putting stickers on boxes and organizing them before I did my first like bulk order, and. I don't think my Kickstarter would have been successful with like 150% funded. And like, uh, I think we, most of it happened in the first 24 hours, um, would have not happened without that year of runway, uh, of building that community, of having people become the evangelists, the ambassadors to share this out. And I actually created a Kickstarter launch team yes. where I had 50 people in a Facebook group that all, uh, committed to at least doing one post on their Facebook profile or social media the day of the launch. And I literally did only do one post in the first 24 hours and almost got like to the goal because of that community, because of that support from the other people. I don't think this is something that you can do by yourself. It's definitely a community uh, effort. And it also though tells you early before you've spent a lot of money, whether it's worth investing more money and time. I mean, that's the other 
thing you got back was all that feedback, you know, the co-creation process, you, it led to a better product and that, that now serves more people that you don't know. Like initially you were getting feedback because people knew you and they were able to give you that feedback. They wanted to give that feedback. But if you had just rushed to the market with your original prototype, it would have flopped if someone had pulled the wrong card at the wrong time. And then that would have been the end of, of that. <laughs> they wouldn't, they mm-hmm. wouldn't have been telling people to go buy it. So um, the, the extra time you put in, I saw that you had done a GoFundMe and I was curious, uh, no, a Kickstarter, sorry. You'd done a Kickstarter and I was curious about the timing of that, but this makes sense. And your materials all seem incredibly polished. Like I, when I went to your site, your, your videos are beautiful. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're a great storyteller. And so even on video, like it all comes across. And I also think in, like in the video, you speak to this moment, which I don't think is, um, unknown to others listening. When you moved, you did not feel like you, you, you had a really hard time finding your people. Um, and you know, I, my background is teaching people how to do that kind of find your own people at conferences, like national 3000, 10,000, 20,000 person conferences. Like you just feel like a lost soul. And, and in fact, I feel like the loneliest place to be is in a crowd when you don't mm-hmm. know anyone, you know? So, yeah. cause it's not your choice to be alone at that point. You know, it's just like, you kind of want to be connecting. And so for you to be in like a new country surrounded by people who are not quite getting you, like this is the tool that solves the problem that you had, but you are not alone. That's the reason this is resonating is because a lot of people have that problem, right? That's, that's a, a human condition, I think, in having that problem. Yeah, and like that, that's something that I did not know existed until I had that experience at that retreat. Like there, I, for the first time, realized oh, that's what it feels like when you feel like really connected to another person and like have the sense of belonging where you don't need to change who you are. You actually feel accepted by a group. Oh, that's what I'm missing in my life. Like I was not aware that uh, I was having these surface level uh, connections until that moment. Um, And then it just all made sense. Like uh, in, in one video, I talk about how I got so excited about getting to the 500 LinkedIn connections because then it just says 500 plus. I was so excited that I, I built my network, yay. But out of those 500 people, I think I only knew like 10. Mm. Yeah. Hey, did you ever give a deck of cards to the facilitators of that retreat? Oh yeah, they're, they're big supporters, um, all of them. That's and awesome. actually a, a lot of the people from that retreat are still some of my, my closest friends today. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. So I, I'm actually curious then, uh, you know, speaking specifically about your network, you know, you have sort of your inner circle of people and then you have sort of, I would think of like the second and third layers or tiers out. Um, that could be people that you see once a year at a conference or you you worked with five years ago, but you don't have a reason to see on a regular basis now. But these are people you all, you liked. They liked you, you enjoy each other's company. How do you nurture and sustain those kinds of looser ties, those weaker ties? Like, do you have any habits or philosophies, practices that help you nurture and sustain those connections? So I started adopting or almost making it a habit uh, to do one action that actually comes from the person who connected both of us, uh, Blake Fly. And this is whenever you think of someone, send them a message right there. And it's so easy with like having access to having people on Facebook or or LinkedIn or having their email address. Like there's some way you can connect with them. 
And if you remember something, just send them a really quick message. And it's uh, really amazing how how few people to this day still use audio and video messages. But I actually, I believe it's faster to send an audio message or a video message. Well, pro audio is probably the fastest because video, sometimes you need to make sure that you have the right light and uh, maybe you have to like dress up or do something to make look make you look a little bit more presentable. Um, but I think audio message is faster than typing something. And when somebody receives it, they think that it was more work, that you actually went above and beyond. And that feeling that people get when they get an audio message, especially if it's from someone that they haven't heard from in a while, and you're not trying to sell them something or pitch them something, you're just like, hey, I just... Uh, found this photo from the time that we met at this conference like three years ago. Here it is. Wasn't that a fun time? That's it. Like literally just being top of mind for people is, is something that I'm trying to make a habit um, and spend some time every week just looking through my phone, looking through reminders or the when Facebook reminds you every year, hey, this is what happened last year or two years ago. Just tagging people again, commenting again on the same posts is a really good, good fun way um, yeah, to stay in touch. I love this. And actually a tool that I use that you remind me of is loom.com. It's a Chrome plugin that I find to be the simplest way to do video and audio recordings. And um, my biggest client that I've landed in the last year, when I sent the proposal, I included a video message because I wanted to explain like some piece of what I was sharing but it really stood out to her. Like she brought it up several times after. And then I'm like, well, then why am I not just doing that on a regular basis? So I've started to try to, you know, create a quick one minute, like here's why I'm so enthusiastic about the idea of working with you. And, you know, similarly, like dropping a quick note to a colleague or sharing something or, you know, even in response, like people, I get a lot of questions around Zoom, <laughs> as you might imagine. And the work that I'm doing these days, people will send me an email and I might send them a quick loom video back to kind of explain it. And I do find it personally so much easier to do that either just, just explaining with words or sharing my screen than to try to type out something. Um, but yeah, I love this idea of just, you know, going through old text messages or going through, um, yeah. All, like when Facebook brings up memory posts, like those, that's a great idea to stay talking. Yeah. Like, the, and, and the thing is, often lately I start conversations and I'm having a hard time, like I drop the ball, like to be really honest, like I start a bunch and then I might drop the ball a little bit, but I do try to fit fit it into my schedule to then have like real time conversations. Like let's hop on a Zoom call, let's hop on FaceTime, let's have a real chat. Mm -hmm. um, but because, I don't know, last year daycares were closed, I have a two-year-old son too, time was like I only worked a couple of hours a day. Um, this asynchronous communication of sending audio message back and forth, even with my friends in Germany, because time zone is often an issue where um, like this time of the day, they're already going to sleep. Um, so that really helped me have more of a relationship where you hear, like you hear the tone of somebody's voice, mm -hmm. uh, or if you're using video, you can see their body language. You connect so much more than just like a quick text message. You know, you're making me think of another product that I've been using since the pandemic, Marco Polo. Have you used this app? Uh, I think I've heard of it. 
It's a video app where you can set up a group of friends and then people record and forget worrying about like best lighting. Like you record in whatever, <laughs> whatever setting you're in. <laughs> um, and um, people record themselves just speaking for a few minutes and then anyone else in that group gets notified. And I, we have a few of them. My wife has some with her friends from, from grad school. We've got some of our close friends who live in this area. We have ones with our families. Um, but I'm now just thinking, I get notified all the time when other people I'm Facebook friends with have joined that app. And I could just go scrolling through and send a random Marco Polo like, hey, and that could lead, because that is asynchronous, like at its best. Like it's not meant to be, we're here together at the same time, but they do get notified when it goes live and they could watch it then or they could watch it later. And even if they like responded three months later, it's still more often than if we never did it. Like, <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. really, <laughs> but that, but like but that, without these tools, I feel like we don't have that inertia. And then a lot of the events got canceled in person I think all of them actually for the ones I was thinking of. So this kind of can be another way of, of, of staying in touch with people's lives in a, in a, in a way that feels real, you know, not just like a form letter that you sent out to each person, you know? Yeah. And it can be super overwhelming. Like the one thing I want to uh, mention too is this outer circle is a larger group and it's sometimes hard to stay on top of things. And I'm not a good person if you ask me anything about tracking relationship building because I'm not um, but what I do every year is I have this activity called the relationship roadmap where it also organizes people in circles and the closest circle is like people that you love and uh, that love you the next one is people that light you up and then the outside circles are people that drain your energy and the people who actually you need to remove out of your life or like stop putting energy in and oftentimes I just focus on the two inner circles and maybe the few people that are kind of on the edge between, I'm not sure yet where they're going to fall. Uh, let me invest a little bit more time in and then I'll decide if, if they're going to be the ones that actually light me up. Like the ones, the people who, when you see their name pop up on your phone and instead of letting it go to voicemail, you actually are excited to pick up, you drop everything. Those are the people I want to invest time in. That's um, awesome. So yes. I like once a year to do this exercise, just figure out, okay, who are those people in my life right now? Because it, of course, changes. People move in and out of the circles all the time. Um, and then like remind myself, okay, I want to I wanna catch up with this person maybe once a month or every couple of weeks. Yeah. So the circles were, the inner circle was people who love you and you love them. People who light you up where there's the next circle mm -hmm. out. People who drain you. And then people you should just be avoiding because it's really unhealthy. Yeah, like there's, uh, I guess, uh, I forgot how I called them, but I have, I actually have this as an activity that I can share a link to as well. Great, um, yeah, we could put that in the show notes. Which I have not done yet for 2021. So this is a good reminder for me to go back to that. Awesome, um, yes. But yeah, we can put that in the show notes. But the, the outer two levels are like, one is uh, you probably, like they're kind of neutral, like they don't add anything to your life. So you don't need to keep track of them. And then there's the people who are, uh, you are spending time with, but they actually uh, hold you back from achieving your goals. So well, those you need to be more consciously I'm curious. Uh, taking out of your life. I'm very curious to see all this. I love these, these kinds of exercises that make you more aware. 
So here we're getting to our wrap up question. So it's actually one of my favorite questions. Um, I know we're going to stay connected, but let's say it's a year from now and we're sitting around and I ask you, like, how did last year go? And you are sharing with me all of your successes. I want to know what we're going to be celebrating. So what are you most looking forward to in the next 12 months? First of all, this is also one of my favorite questions. Also, one that I at a networking event uh, two years ago. It was an HR event. And at that time, I was I never attended any HR events. So it was like my first event that size. And I was going to go with a friend and he got snowed in, so he couldn't come. So I was there completely by myself, felt totally out of place and uh, just said, OK, I need to I need to push myself again to do something uncomfortable. I need to get I'm going to do a small talk detox. No, not going to talk about what do you do? If somebody asks me, I'm going to try to change the conversation into something else. And that was my go to question of like, hey, if we met a year from today, what with a bottle of champagne, what are we celebrating? And I had one conversation with one guy. We totally hit it off, ended up sitting next to each other for the whole uh, event. And at the end said, wouldn't it be funny if we like met up one year from today and not speak for the whole year and just like put it in our Google calendar, get reminded, and then just show up and hope that the other person remembers. We actually ended up putting the event in our calendar, did not speak for a year, crossed paths twice, uh, once at the farmer's market, once I was crossing the street at a traffic light and he was sitting in the car. Had like no real communication, but then both showed up. And since then, like we're connecting every one to two weeks. We now started like a little mastermind group. We used to hang out at the coffee shop around my house. Wow. Uh, we've now become friends because of that question. So love the question. Um, now to my answer, what will we be celebrating? Um, this year, am I telling you that in past tense to make it yes, more, more impactful? Yes, All right. In the last year, um, I've built this amazing community of facilitators that uh, bring people together, that really share my mission of making people feel less alone. And they use that in their work of hosting workshops, uh, of doing trainings online and offline, because we can do that again now. Um, and it's like this ripple effect of these what I call magical human moments where people forget that they're looking at a screen, where people forget all of their worries and they just feel so connected to a moment, to another person, um, that they feel this, this sense of belonging that I felt at, at that retreat. And that community is exactly the people that I want in my life. They're all, all of them are the ones who light me up. There's not a single person who's like energy draining because those people have joined, realized it's not for them and decided to leave again. And I was totally fine with that. <laughs> I can't wait to celebrate with you. That sounds just like a phenomenal way to end a phenomenal year. Um, thank you, Jan, for, for joining us. I'd love you to share how people can find you and follow your work. Yeah, so because my name is a little bit harder to spell, because uh, it starts with a J, but it's pronounced Jan, uh, you can just go to askdeepquestions.com and that will relink to my personal website. Or if you put it in the show notes, it's my name, jankek.com. And that also links to all the social media things. So you can find me on YouTube and Instagram and all of that. Fantastic. We'll have all those links in the show notes at onthechmooze.com. Thank you again for joining us. That was awesome. Thank you. 
I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jan. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 239. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. Also, if you're on Clubhouse, find me at Robbie Samuels and click on the bell in my profile so you're notified when I'm speaking in a room. If you enjoyed this episode with Jan, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talented professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.